This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, Jeff Kasuf here, founder of EqualizerSoccer.com. Uh, with a quick note for you, our faithful listeners here of the Equalizer podcast. Just want to be as transparent as we can. We had a little bit of a, a mic issue on one end in this episode and uh, decided that we wanted to still get this out in a timely manner for you since it is recapping the tournament that was the Olympic qualifying tournament for CONCACAF and Sunday's USA-Canada final. So uh, just want to acknowledge, look, we've heard some of your feedback, which is totally valid, about uh, audio quality, which we are absolutely working on going forward and acknowledge up front that we had a, a slight uh, issue in this one uh, certainly still you know fully listenable uh, to make up a word and um, you know worth worth getting to you in a quick and timely manner because it talks about uh, a game so uh, thanks for bearing with us want to get you this information and great analysis and uh, we will continue to work on uh, everything going forward including the the technical side and the uh, the sound quality. So please keep on uh, letting us know, reach out. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback and please enjoy this episode, approaching our 100th episode of the Equalizer podcast. Episode 95 of the Equalizer podcast, and this week the United States can start making plans for Tokyo. They have officially qualified for the 2020 Summer Olympics to be held in Tokyo, Japan. They defeated Canada, so they are still the best team in CONCACAF. Canada is also heading to the Olympics this summer. Dan Lawletta, Chelsea Bush here to break it all down with you. The CONCACAF Women's Champion come to an end, and Chelsea, I guess... The only thing to say here is that, uh, you know, the U.S. wasn't great in this tournament, but they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They didn't let any of the pressure get to them. And there are at least some different talking points now that Vlako Andonovsky has some meaningful games under his belt. Um, what were your initial thoughts? What are your initial thoughts coming off this one? Yeah, I agree that they weren't great, but they, they didn't really need to be great. There was never any doubt that they weren't were going weren't going to qualify i mean they've only ever come close to not qualifying in uh in 2010 and this is a very very different team um i mean as far as, as the u.s is concerned yeah we definitely didn't see them at their best there was definitely some rust that they were shaking off particularly in that first game um but i think you can you can look at a couple players and say they, they kind of did some things to maybe move themselves up to the depth chart or at least give some more serious consideration for the Olympics. I think there's a couple of players who, who didn't maybe do enough and have to be looking at those last final cuts and, and questioning if they're going to be there or not. All right. Well, I think the obvious player who I think was probably the player of the tournament is Kristen press. I think she's been spectacular yeah, I, now. 
since the beginning of last year and didn't actually finish great against Canada, but still put herself in the right position. Um, you know, a lot of debate now about whether she should be a starter on this team. I think there's a lot of factors still at play, but I mean, press and even Lynn Williams, I think those are two that stand out as having not, you know, not that other players didn't play well, but those are two players that you wouldn't have thought would have been at the top of the list. And they both were very good. Yeah. Williams is someone that I have, I still have some questions for. I think it'll be very interesting to watch her and if she believes cup, but she, she stood out amongst some, some very so-so players this tournament. I don't think that we saw the best from Megan Rapino or Tobin Heath. And I understand that, at least with, with Heath, there was maybe a little bit of a fitness issue early on. Um, so there's there's that. But she she did things that, you know, when she was asked to do them, she had some very, two very good assists in this final against Canada, had, had a goal, had some good goals earlier in the tournament. Um, I think that my question for her is um, still her technicality. She she does she still sometimes gives the balls away. I don't I don't think she's extremely great one v one when she's going against a talented uh, defender. We just we didn't see a whole lot of that. So I think she did a lot this tournament. I still want to see what she can do against you know top five teams. Let's go back to Rapino for a minute because she came into the Canada game as a sub, scored a goal, and she came into the Haiti game late and scored a goal. She started some other games, didn't play at all in some. Is it possible that Megan Rapino has morphed to the, at this point in her career to the point where she should be a substitute because she doesn't appear to be 90 minutes fit? And I think it's, that's been that way for a while. Mm-hmm. And she changed the tenor of the games that she came into late. And she has that feel. I think that's why Jill Ellis got sucked into taking her four years ago because she thought, you know what, she <laughs> might not be totally fit, but she can come in and change a game. Now she maybe isn't 90 minutes fit, but she's healthy you know, relatively speaking, uh, what do you think about Rapino being designated as someone that comes into a game later? Uh, um, <clears throat> I don't think she'll be happy with that, but you got to do what you got to do. Um, I agree that she can change the game, and I, I agree that she's not nine, 90 minutes fit. I recall making a comment to you on one of the group stage matches, although I don't recall which one it was, that she, she wasn't making runs that I thought she normally would have. And that could have been just the fact that they were extremely up in that game and it didn't really matter at that point. Or I just, yeah, I, I don't really see her being sharp for 90 minutes. So I guess the question is, do you want to take advantage of her for maybe the first half or do you want to wait until you might possibly be down? I mean, for me, the, the biggest, I, I think one thing that they really lack when she's not on the field, they have other game changers, but her service, um, with the exception of that Sam Mewis free kick that was delicious, <laughs> I, I don't see getting that sort of service from corners or from from dead balls that any on anyone else on, on this team, and I think that's that's a concern when she's not on the pitch. You know, we saw that tonight. I no offense to Kristen Press, and sometimes her balls are fine, but I just I don't see that pinpoint service that Megan Rapinoe brings, and they need to develop that somewhere else because they're not going to have her forever. Yeah, Tobin Heath is another one that I think can serve, but they were seemingly on and off the field at the same time. And I think it's interesting because when you take both of them off, I think they both bring something very unique and they're on either side of the front line. So when you have neither one of them there, I do think it changes the dynamic a little bit. But I also think, you know, and I've come around a little bit to when there's a player that you know can't go the distance, that instead of guessing where they're going to fit and putting them in in the 65th or 70th minute, you just put them in the game 
let them start, and then when they get tired, you take them out. But I think specifically in Rapino's case, she is someone that would be really good to bring into a game around the hour mark when you're starting to wear an opponent down. I don't know that everybody who can only play 30 minutes or 50 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever, can do that specifically. And I think in Rapino's case, she can. At least she did in this tournament. We'll see if it happens. Yeah, and not every forward. not every player is is effective as a sub and she is one that can do just what she, she 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 provides the same thing whether she's starting or she comes off the bench and not every player can say that but the other thing i think that is really missing when rapino is not on the field is you don't get crystal dunn cutting inside nearly as often and i think that i was really thinking about that particularly in this first half against the canada game because i didn't think that either neither dunn nor sonnet were providing much creativity from the flanks and when it seems like when Rapino is on the field, she likes to stay wide. And so you get done cutting inside that provides you a little bit different of an option. And it's really done driving at a back line is really where she's strong. And I done's one of those where I didn't think she had a particularly outstanding tournament. She did what was asked, but it wasn't as, as dynamic as she normally can be. But whether, you know, maybe that was just because she's playing with a different player and, and they're asking different things of her. But I really miss that tonight when Rapino wasn't on the field. So that's some, another facet to to kind of consider. Yeah, that's a fair point. And, you know, it's hard to judge the defenders when the team doesn't give up a goal the entire tournament, minus the Haiti goal that should have been a goal, but that's not really important. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the outside backs are looking to attack. What I find interesting about Dunn is that when Andonovsky came in and you had Dunn as the outside back and you watch how good she's been with North Carolina playing in a, you know, mostly in an attacking midfield role, and you say, well, maybe... Andonovsky will be the coach that puts Crystal Dunn higher up the field. And I think we all agree that she's not a midfielder in the way this team plays right now. And I, I guess we can talk about this in a minute. I guess he's going to stick with this basic shape through the Olympics. And then maybe if he's going to change it up, do it after that. But, you know, everyone always says the U.S. has good enough forwards to field two or three national teams. And if you look at today's uh, Sunday night starting lineup, the forwards on Sunday night were McDonald, Press, and Williams, um, and neither of those three played in the Mexico game. So that and that's without Alex Morgan even on the roster. So they actually subbed all three of their forwards out and still came up with McDonald, Press, and Williams, which is not too bad. And so how is Crystal Dunn possibly going to break into there, especially when you have a lack of depth at outside back? Yeah, I I, I think. I was a little disappointed this tournament. I thought we would see under Vatclaw, I thought we would see Dunn return up top again. And I do think she, she can provide something. It's just, it's it's been a little while. But I still go back to the 2016 Olympics when I thought she was the best U.S. player over the course of the tournament and she was playing higher up the pitch. And, and you have a world where you don't have an Alex Morgan where Megan Rapinoe maybe is not going to be a starter anymore. I think I think Crystal Dunn could could nudge her way in there. Um, I'd have liked to have seen her, her get the opportunity. I was surprised even in the second half when Kelly O'Hara came on and Dunn still didn't move up top. That has traditionally been kind of one of their sub patterns is that O'Hara goes to outside back and Dunn moves up top, but we didn't see that. We got to see O'Hara playing as an attacker for the first time, at least on a national team, probably since 2015. And I also thought that he would maybe move Sonnet back to the center, and he didn't do that either. So I'm a little sad. I have a feeling that Sonnet as a center back is done with this team, at least for the moment. And I'm surprised she got as many men. I mean, she was, look, she was the big surprise 
making the roster over Casey Short, and I didn't expect her to get that many minutes. Thought she was, you know, she played okay, I guess. Um, but I think you have to look at her as a player that has moved up the depth chart in the Vlatko era. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I She's on kind of my list of players I didn't really think did enough this tournament. And again, as far as offensively speaking, she wasn't really asked to do a whole lot, but I just thought she didn't provide the service that I, I thought that they could. Um, I, I, I kind of game, get, really. It's not, which is kind of, but that's, if you're an outside back, that should be your game. Should, absolutely. So that's kind of my question here. Um, but I also think that, you know, they're trimming two players from this roster, and Tierna Davidson's not, not in because she wasn't healthy. Right. So you, you may look a little bit different. Yeah, I just, I, I thought she could, she could have done a little bit, a little bit more for me. She did get to play a lot of minutes, but I, I think his rotation minus the goalkeeper was was pretty good this tournament. At the same time, well, at least he gave the another goalkeeper one game. That's more than we've seen at some of these other events. But why didn't Adriana French get the third group, group stage game? All, all Nair did was stand there. Uh, that to me is I'm, baffling. You know what? I, the only thing I will say to that is you never know how she trained ahead of this one. You know, maybe she didn't. Maybe she had a bad couple of days of training, but yeah, you know, I mean, it, it certainly it, makes sense because she's got one cap, right? And it was kind of a bad, poor performance. I thought she had two, but Does she have two. But I, I know, know her, her first, first cap, cap was, was pretty rough. Good. Yeah, I, I want to say maybe she got a half in, in in the victory tour um, at some point. But, yeah, I, and maybe – I don't know if that's an indication as to where he's thinking for his goalkeepers or maybe she she took a knock and no one told us. Or maybe or it's, it's kind of like the Casey Short thing. From what we see, it's a little head-scratching, but we don't see everything. Right, and I was just going to bring up Casey Short. And it's ironic, too, because you said that, you know, two players go down – after this, by the way, something we've been saying, I've been saying anyway, incorrect for a long time. It's actually four alternates, not three alternates. So apologies if I've got anybody thinking it's three, but it's still 18 for the main roster. But it's actually 23 for she believes. So the roster actually expands now to she to she believes, and then gets condensed again. But if you're Casey Short, you've got to be sitting at home watching these games, thinking I'm better as an outside back than Emily Sonnet. Why am I not on this roster? And again, like oh, you said, we, we don't see everything, so you never know what happened. And Crystal Dunn, honestly. I think she's better than both of them. Uh, yeah, that, that's probably fair. I I don't know. I think she's obviously performed consistently, highly, at a high, very high level, very well in the NWSL. She's performed well with maybe one or two just random off games uh, for that we've seen against the U.S., and that includes against you know very good teams. I don't know what we're missing here. It's if, but I'm starting like I think I said this on the last podcast I was on that now it's not just Jill, it's not just a Jill Ellis thing. Now it's two coaches. Oh yeah. That to me is, is starting to say okay, there's there's something something that we're not seeing that that we're missing, and maybe it's you know doesn't see as, as uh, much versatility as they would want. But I, don't, I think you could say that about other players that are on the roster. So and when it, go ahead. I'm just, I don't know. I wish that I could give any sort of hint other than we're just missing something behind the scenes that we don't see. And it's not like, pretty sure we would have heard by now if she was maybe a locker room issue on any sort of team. So I don't think that's it either. And if, and when Dunn missed out in 2015 and then tore the NWSL apart, we were all saying, all right, Crystal Dunn will be on the Olympic team in 2016. I thought Short had the same kind of season 
in the league this year. Now, there's not the numbers to quantify it. Dunn scored the 15 goals and was the MVP. Short played outside back, so you're not going to tally up numbers. But didn't she have a kind of similar NWSL season to what Dunn had in 2015? She had a similar season, but I think there are two big differences. And I think people tend to forget that Crystal Dunn was still for the national team in 2015 and outside back. And she wasn't performing well for them at that role. That's fair. When, when she tore up the NWSL, it was as a forward, and that's how she got herself back on the team and ultimately uh, ended up in the outside back anyway, but but was playing much better this time. But I think I, I see the similarities. I see where you're going with that. But I want to point out that there are some, some key differences there. And there were also, uh, not that she didn't earn her way, but there were some more retirements. Yeah, that's true. That's also true. Also, at the time she got left off the roster, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I mean, she could have been on and that wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But I didn't think it was a blatant oversight when Dunn got left off. I thought it was actually more of an oversight that Short got left off than Dunn. And by the way, they won both tournaments, so the decisions couldn't have been that bad. Yeah, I, I agree with both sentiments there. All right. We've still got to talk about the midfield and I want to touch on Friday night's game against Mexico, which was a fairly straightforward performance, but an awful lot of pressure in that game as well. Chelsea and Dan on the Equalizer podcast, segment two, coming up after this. Equalizer podcast, episode 95, segment two, Dan and Chelsea, with a reminder to check us out online at equalizersoccer.com. And for premium content, go to EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe. Lots of good content coming out of the recent CONCACAF Women's Championship, which really was just the Olympic qualifiers. United States and Canada are in the Tokyo Olympics. Everybody else in CONCACAF is not in the Tokyo Olympics. But check us out, EqualizerSoccer.com. And for premium content, EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe and also a friendly reminder to please rate and review the equalizer podcast today chelsea the midfield very clearly we're in the same spot we were in at the olympics there are four midfielders for three spots what do you what are your who do you, who would you start if you were the three is it is it game to game based on opponent are you just lucky to have four where are, you, where are you with the midfield right now? I, I think you meant to say where are we we're in the World Cup, right? Not the last Olympics. Um, if I said Olympics, then yes, I meant to say World okay, Cup. Okay, yes. <laughs> or, or maybe I heard it either way. Anyway, <laughs> um, this was interesting. I, I really don't think that Roosevelt had her best tournament, with the exception of the, the one game that really, really, truly mattered, which was the semifinal. Not that the group stage didn't help them get there, but you know what I'm saying. Yep. Um, I, I thought she was excellent in the semifinal. The rest of the time, I don't think we saw her on the ball enough. I think in this particular game against Canada, she was muscled off the ball too easily, which has always kind of been a thing with her. Um, she wasn't displaying that sort of creativity. If she's in form and she's healthy, she always gets my vote because I, I think that she just brings – I don't know that we really have a num- a, really a number to another 10 – another number 10, excuse me, on this roster. I think you have players like Mewis who can play there or Kristen Press, um, but I don't think we have a true 10 on this roster. And I think uh, I would say Julie Ertz is probably always in ink. Um, she, she doesn't 
no other player can quite clean up any messes and just power forward like she can. So it comes down to Horan and Mewis, and I, gosh, what a problem to have, right? I think it's an easy answer. I think it's, yeah, great problem. I don't. I think that's an easy answer for me. Do you? Go ahead. I think I, it's got to be Mewis. You cannot, you cannot put your best 11 players on the field and tell me Sam Mewis isn't one of them. I think that Mewis is a smarter soccer player. I think that she utilizes, she sees passing lanes and utilizes space better. I think Haran is a better goal scorer. That so is fair enough. It kind of depends on what you're wanting from them and, and maybe who, who, uh, who, I think we needed Mewis more in this game actually, because we weren't getting enough from Lavelle. And I think it's, I think that Mewis can see some of those passing lanes and see and thread the needle better than a lot of other players. I think we needed that a little bit earlier than we got it. No, um, I Rand, said, I, Go ahead. I was going to say, I said for years, Ertz, Horan, and anybody, and you've got the best midfield in the world. I'm now on Ertz, Mewis, and anybody, and you've got the best midfield in the world. <laughs> I think Horan had a great tournament, though. I think she was okay. I think she was a little rusty. But I, think, I think she played okay. I don't know if I would go so far as to say great. Uh, well, agree to disagree. But, okay, now, w- would you be okay if Lavelle wasn't there and it was Ertz, Mewis, Horan? Could that work? Could it work? Yes. I still think you're missing some creativity. I think Roosevelt, her best, can do things on the ball that not very many people in women's soccer and not very many people on that team can do. I don't disagree with that one bit. And it might be that the answer is getting back to the Rapino conversation, which of the four can be more effective coming off the bench, which you don't want to be that person. You but. don't, but if it comes to that, I'd kind of say Haran. I think she might be the one I would want to come off the bench. Yeah, I think Haran or it might depend on what kind of game you're in, too, which obviously you can't know that when you set the lineup. I think there are ways maybe Mewis, but I, yeah, I think Haran probably, I would I agree. I think she, she can... She takes advantage of, of tired legs. She can muscle tired opponents off the ball. Um, she she's not very fast. Um, I, I don't think she's I think she's faster than she appears, if that makes any sense. But she's not the paciest player, and so I think that that again comes into an advantage maybe more late in the game when you're not going to get outran as much. Um, and again, she's a better goal scorer. And usually when you're you, you want to see out a game, that's the, something that you like. She's She's defensively minded. She, like I said, she can she can win the ball very easily. She's very physical. That's someone I want to close out my game. Yeah, I agree with that. And you know, obviously, if you need a goal, she can come in and score a goal. But and you're right, great problem to have with those four. And I think we both agree that you cannot. What I said about Mewis probably goes double for Ertz. I mean, Julie Ertz right now is the heartbeat of this team. I, well, I remember you asking who who could the U.S. not you know do without? Who do you have to wrap in bubble wrap before the World Cup? And, and the answer at the time was Julie Ertz. The answer still is Julie Ertz. I think she's the glue that holds this team together. I was pleased to see her hat wearing the captain's armband today because I think that she has naturally is is a leader on and off the field, and that was reflected and getting a little bit of appreciation for that. Was that her first time? I believe so. I think uh, Jen Cooper tweeted that it was so. I think. Because I remember back like when she got drafted and debuted with the Red Stars back in the Julie Johnston days and people saying she is a future captain of the U.S. national team. I know she's not the captain, but not everybody gets to wear the armband ever. 
So there's that. What about, you know, speaking of lineups, what about press up top? Like, do you see her now as a must-start player, or does it depend on whether on Rapino and Heath and whether they're healthy, or does it depend on who else you have up there? Like, are we still too fo- too focused on all the things press didn't do prior to last year, or is she just an absolute lock, got to start her every, in a big game? I think it's hard to forget a reputation that has been earned over many years of, of not coming up when needed. Um, I'm trying to forget that because I think she does come up when she's needed now, but it's hard. I, I will admit that it is hard not to, to say, okay, yeah, she can do it in CONCACAF, but can she do it against the Netherlands or Brazil or can't remember the other European team, Sweden, maybe. Is that well, the England one? is the one she came in and did it. England, yes, she did. It's, and that's what I'm saying. She, she has proven that she can. It's just getting rid of that mindset of, I I want to say, too, also, you, you mentioned Rapino and Heath, but Carly Lloyd. Are we looking at Carly Lloyd as the starting number nine? Are we looking at her as a starting number nine for every single match? I think I think that press could also fill that role. We, it's She's transitioned to more of a wide role over the last couple of years, but she can still play number nine. Well, I think we would agree Carly Lloyd did not have a great tournament. She did not from the from the point of view of thinking she didn't have many great goals. She missed some sitters. But I think we saw that she can provide that sort of back to the goal, hold up, let me play off of, you know, play off of me type of, of role that Alex Morgan had been playing. I think there were questions about whether or not she could do that. And I think she had some some good balls to other players. So from that point of view... She was okay, but yeah, she didn't. She didn't have a great tournament from from her standards for sure. I'm curious whether, like you said, is she the number nine every game, or is she, and is she the first choice number nine? Now let's also note that the one game they needed to win against Mexico, Kristen Press did not start. But do you do we think that this is going to be a mix and match kind of scenario, or I, we're going to play for, Carly and Press or Williams and Rapino? Just I think throwing out names. Yeah, I think it's a mix and match for a couple of reasons. One, that the Olympics is very condensed, and you, you it's like this tournament. You have to rotate your players. You, you cannot make it all the way through that tournament without rotation. Um, so, so by just necessity's purpose, you have to – you will see some some rotation. You will see some players starting and, and not – I don't think you're going to have a penciled-in 11. If it comes down to, you know, say we get to the Olympic final – Oh, uh, I probably like, depends on opponent. It depends on opponent. Um, I like Carly Lloyd in big games. I'll say that, but I also think she may be a good weapon to have on the bench in a way that I'm not sure another player can, can so provide us that maybe like Pino. We've got our subset then for the Olympic final is Lloyd, Rapino, and whoever is the odd woman out in the midfield, and right? Moran, I guess. Yeah. Moran <laughs> or, or Mewis. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, if I'm I, down in a, in a, in a huge game like that, the first person I want off my bench is Carly Lloyd. She, she lives and breathes those moments. I agree. I find, I found watching the Canada game, watching press in the Canada game, she hit the crossbar. She had another one where I forget who played her in. She got in behind and it was a great run and a great ball and a tough chance, but she put it over that a year ago we would have been saying, why can't Kristen Press finish those? And now yeah. we're kind of saying, great job getting in position, great tournament, just wasn't your day finishing. 
Yeah, she she wasn't great at finishing tonight, but she provides. She had energy that no other player. That ball that hit the crossbar, I remember they they replayed that, and so you could see it in slow motion. And the instant she takes that shot, Williams and Haran stopped their run, and that infuriated me because there was a rebound there for the taking. Someone should have been making that that late run into the box and finishing that that up. So Kristen Press, she's the one doing that when she's not the one taking the shots. And that's something that, that to me, was setting her above the rest of her, her uh, teammates, particularly tonight. And that's kind of why it's a little bit of a different topic. But I don't like her taking corner kicks because I don't think she's that good at them. But remember when she was in Chicago and they would post her up at the top of the 18 on set pieces? How many goals did she score where the ball kind of squirted out to her? And she can finish from anywhere. And she would just rip in this amazing shot from the top of the 18. So I... You know, it's, I mean, obviously that's not making following up on a run, but it's similar in that, you know, the ball comes out and she can score from anywhere and they can all do it. So, yeah, you got to be making yeah, I, those all up runs. I think I want her hanging outside the box for that second that second ball. And I guess she, she, her service isn't great. So if you're not going to have her or Heath on the field, you need to figure out. Go back to Abby Dahlkemper. She's got great service. I don't know why she's not usually taking them for the U.S. Yeah, she takes them for the courage almost yeah, all the time. she's a little bit too lofted for my taste. I'd like to see her a little bit more driven, but I think she provides a, a playable ball in there 99% of the time. I think it's better to have her take it and press available for the second ball than to have press take it and nobody even remotely close to press available for the second ball. I guess maybe Mewis could rip one from outside. There's but players who could, but, but yeah, I want Kristen Press out there, especially if you're talking about press versus Dahlkemper. Right, and Mila scores more like from distance with great shots. She's not like curl the ball around five defenders and hit the upper 90 no, no. type player. But my favorite press moment of the tournament was the goal against Mexico where she got in and she got smothered and then she pulled back and floated one in over the keeper because I don't think she – I think she a couple of years ago gets frustrated by missing the original chance and doesn't collect herself and make that sort of play. And also against Canada when she was basically 1v5 and got through the entire back line and then didn't score because she dribbled a little bit too wide. I was about to say, that is the the opposite side of it, I think, is that example of she had Lynn Williams wide open at that moment and chose to to take it herself and probably had a better option there. All right, another fair point by you. So I guess it's a matter of if she finishes, we overlook that. If she doesn't, we get real nitpicky. Yeah, but again, I think what she's done over the last year has allowed her a lot of leeway in terms of when she's not perfect. We're not nitpicking as much as we would have a year ago. Um, Last thing in this segment, the Friday game against Mexico. uh, I don't know that it got enough attention that the U.S. could have lost that game and then would not have been going to the Olympics. And, you know, we all know we're not pleased with the way qualifying goes. But I thought the fact that they came out and they absolutely smothered Mexico for the opening 15 minutes says a lot about where this team is mentally under Andonovsky because they did not play that game nervously for one second. No, and I think while while we take it for granted that they're going to qualify, they're very aware of of the fact that the things can happen and they know that they're the better team and they're playing like the better team. And yeah, I think they did what they needed to do. And also credit Mexico for hanging in there in that game. Oh man. Let me talk about Mexico here for a second, because they, I think they are night and day from where they were a little over a year ago, because qualifying for the Olympics was one of the most dreadful Mexico 
teams I've ever seen. They didn't, they played like they didn't know what they were doing. They weren't set up to succeed in their formations. They didn't want to be there. They, they, they had lost that tournament from the moment they stepped on the field. This team was so much better. Like they're not a great team still. Obviously they've got strides to make, but even when they were going down against us, they, they weren't giving up. They were being, they had their moments. Um, I am a huge fan of Jimena Lopez who, who plays, um, on their left flank for them. She she plays at Texas A&M as well. I've watched her quite a lot. She's um, a tremendous offensive threat, has a, an outstanding foot to send in service, and I would love to see her in NWSL. And she is, even though she's still a college player, as is their starting goalkeeper, Emily Alvarado, who plays at TCU, um, she is, is inked in in the starting lineup. So I, I look forward to seeing where Mexico goes from here because I think they rebounded very, very well from a just horrific World Cup qualifying tournament. So there's my uh, soapbox moment. Yep, you said it all. Let's uh, <laughs> step aside. We'll maybe talk a little bit about Canada, the rest of the region, and look to your questions as well. This is episode 95 of the Equalizer podcast. Episode 95, Equalizer Podcast, third and final segment, Dan Lawletta with Chelsea Bush. It is time for the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week, and we're going to borrow one from our good friend Jen Cooper at KeeperNotes.com. Crystal Dunn got her 100th cap during this tournament, which is pretty remarkable, and she became the 18th player to do that within seven years of earning her first cap with the national team, but... Only one player got 100 caps within five years of earning her first, and that was Shannon Box, who made an incredible run through the 2003 WUSA season to be named to the World Cup team. Didn't get capped until after being named to that team, believe it or not, and then was a fixture for the most part right up through the 2015 World Cup when she was buried deep on the roster but did get in a game or two and announced her retirement, certainly after that. So Shannon Box, the fastest by time from cap number one to cap number 100, doing that in less than five years, only player to do that. And that is the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week, brought to you by our friends at Sports Reference. Check out their ever-growing catalog of women's soccer statistics at fbref.com. That's fbref.com. We ended segment two with Chelsea going on about Mexico, and now I'm going to let Chelsea go on a little bit about Canada, and I don't think it's going to be the same kind of conversation. But what did you make of Canada, who does get qualification to Tokyo? They played tough enough, I guess, against the U.S., but they've been stuck in this number two spot now for, what, 25, 30 years? In CONCACAF, that is? Yeah, they've been stuck there. They haven't beat the U.S. I don't remember how long it was but a long time 2001 i think yeah i was i was in like i was a freshman in high school in 2001 <laughs> so a long time um i i just i remain i was disappointed by canada at the, canada at the world cup not just how they when they went out but how they played and they've continued they don't play it's not it's not pretty soccer it's not great soccer um yeah they, they score a bunch of goals against jamaica and, and st kitts and nevitz great but they never came out and and were set up to to win against the u.s they they came out to frustrate them and they did for about an hour it was the outcome was was never in question for me never ever 
had maybe two moments where they, they might have scored a goal, but they were never going to beat the U.S. in this game. And they did the exact same thing at World Cup qualifying a little over a year ago in basically the same match, the the um, the final of the tournament, quote-unquote. And, and the same thing, that they were playing not inspiring soccer. I guess uninspiring is actually the grammatically correct word there. Um it's just, it baffles me. They they have a lot of talent. You have Christine Sinclair. You have maybe the next Christine Sinclair and Jordan Itama who didn't start this game. And, and yeah, I get it. This game is kind of meaningless, but why not go out and, and give it everything you have and attempt to win? And I don't think they, when your coach sets you up and in a way to play that says, yeah, you're probably not going to win this, but hey, maybe we'll frustrate them and then get a lucky goal. What does that tell you? Like how, how, crappy of morale is that for you and it's I, I don't see why they didn't come out and just play them full on and and, and play and I, I don't they're not playing like the number seven or eight team in the world whatever it is they are these days and it's, it's frustrating this, to me wouldn't this be the time to come out and try something different and say you know what we're gonna try to not just frustrate them we're gonna try to get the ball into Sinclair and Heidemo who didn't even come into the game until it was two nothing U.S. like in the 70-some-odd minute because you've already, you, you go to this tournament, you know, and all the players are going to say, well, it's a final, we want to win, of course. But you wanted to qualify, and that's what happened on Friday. So now you've got a chance, if you can do that one time, you can maybe give yourself some inspiration to maybe beat them in the future. You can maybe plant some minor seed of doubt in the U.S. because there is none right now. And maybe you can find something that can spark you to beat them down the road. So I don't understand. I think this is the worst game ever. Same with the World Cup qualifying. It's the worst time ever to play the let's just frustrate them game. Like I could understand it if it were like a World Cup quarterfinal and you play like the Sweden style that they did in the Olympics four years ago. But I don't get it in this game. And they're, aren't they better? Like, don't they have personnel to play better than they do? I would think so. We see enough of, an, of them in the NWSL. We know they can play well. I mean, some of them, they play for top European teams as well. These are good players. And they... I hate, this. I hate to say this, but don't, don't they look like they could be better if they played more often? Well, that's always the case. I mean, they play friendly once, like once a year, if they're lucky. Right. But I mean, we say the same thing about all the, all the other CONCACAF teams. If Panama would just be, play some friendlies now and then, maybe they could gain some traction. It's it's the same thing, and, and Canada is in a completely different situation than those federations, and it's kind of inexcusable on their part not to do more. I agree. I mean, it. you know how I feel about this. It's frustrating. I know that uh, there's a lot of people that deep dive into these games against the teams that have no chance to qualify, and there's a lot of great stories involved, and I'm all for those great stories, but it frustrates me to no end to see – these teams not gathering more and just not trying more. And this is the big key now because we're not going to be back here till November of 2022. Who's going to take a step forward between now and then? Who's going to put in the effort to play games? And I mean, I don't know. Is it more frustrating that Panama might not do it or that Canada, who maybe has the personnel to make a run and get on a podium at the World Cup or win two straight Olympic bronze medals? That they don't do it. I'm not even sure which is worse at this point. I'll just, just say both. All right, let's head to the Q&As. Jenny Robb, 
What do you make of O'Hara getting to play up higher? Would you have thought Dunn would get that chance before her? And I just saw a tweet about a comment that Vlako Andonovsky made post-game. Um, so I'm going to read that, and then you can respond. Vlako said, the only thing that we felt like could have been a problem was the diagonal ball from Buchanan to overload Sonnet on the left. And the best way to solve it is with a defensive-minded forward. And the best defensive-minded forward is Kelly O'Hara. Now, before you comment, that is more specific insight into the tactics of a match than Jill Ellis gave in five years in charge of the team. Personalities, <laughs> not criticizing anybody, but I love that he actually said that. But what, go ahead, you can follow up. I, I don't disagree with what he said. And God, O'Hare looked like she was on the time of her life out there. It's like she got unleashed. Yeah. Not, you know what, though? I think that's the only scenario you would put her in up top. I mean, I love her versatility. And if you need it, it's yeah, there. But I, don't, I, mean, I mean, she's way down the depth chart for an actual there, forward to score. There's a reason she's an outside back now, not on, on the senior level. Press did win the golden ball as best player of the tournament, by the way. Uh, Xander Obviously. White. Well, I, maybe. I mean, is there anything obvious about awards at these tournaments? Well, that, hopes, that's... Didn't Solo win the golden glove for a tournament she did not make a save in? One of those qualifying <laughs> tournaments? Maybe, but I, I felt like this one was obvious anyway. Yeah, I mean, I did too. I did too. Xander White, there have been a few head injuries in the U.S. games this tournament just now with Krieger, with none of the involved players subsequently subbed off. What happened to concussion protocol? I mean, just go back and watch the World Cup final. Kelly O'Hara was not in good shape and was able to finish that half. Not disagreeing, but I don't know that this was the most blatant example either, so going to take a lot more than what happened in this Canada game to change anything. Uh, let's see what else we have. Um, Godwin O'Coley, would NWSL accept a friend? You know what? Let's skip that one. Let's do with the U.S. ones. We'll get back to NWSL stuff at the end. Nicholas, after that goal especially, I would very much like to see false nine Lindsay Horan. Yay or nay? Ah, uh, nay. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Yeah, I, I, think, um, I, I get what they're going at, but I think you, you lose some of her qualities in the midfield when you put her in that role. All right, Andrew, Ati, is there any significance to player numbers changing since the World Cup? Press 23 to 20, J-Mac 22 to 14, Sonnet 14 to 2. Um, <laughs> and left out the most obvious one, which is Lynn Williams getting Alex Morgan's beloved number 13. And Andrew, it's just because it's 20 players on the roster and you've got to go 1 to 20. So that's why you don't get retired numbers. And that's kind of just the way it goes. And it'll be the same for the Olympics. It's 1 to 18. That's why Abby Wambach always used to change her number for the Olympics. Yep, absolutely. And uh, if you want to know all about the history of numbers, the aforementioned Jen Cooper knows more about numbers and always asks me all this trivia about numbers. And I, like, if I see a player with the number, I can I'll identify her, but I can't necessarily sit here and recite all the numbers. All right, now back to Godwin or Coley. Would the NWSL accept a franchise from Canada would they require a Canadian team to have U.S. players be domestic and Canadians be foreign? Now, depending on who you listen to, the Whitecaps were close to getting an NWSL franchise, and this was the sticking point. But I kind of wonder, would the U.S., would the NWSL do it being run by U.S. soccer? I don't know. And I would you know, I would have said a couple of months ago that, the, that they'll take anybody, but they apparently won't take anybody because there's groups that apparently want to get in they can't get in. So I, I don't know. But I would love to see it. What about you? 
I would love to see it. I just think it's – I don't know how MLS handles that. I think that would be something to look into as far as domestic versus internationals because I think it gets a bit sticky. Uh, you don't want that to end up just being the Canadian women's national team. Um, right. But it's also if, – if Shalina Zdorsky is playing for Orlando and taking an international slot and then she gets traded to Vancouver and she doesn't take an international slot, that just – that changes the dynamics of the trade a little bit um, and then vice versa for any American player. So I don't know how, what the answer there is there there is, but I, I hope we see it. Yeah, me too. Jenny, uh, we did Jenny Rob. Um, let's see. Dash Stan account thoughts on Canada's goalkeeper situation, who to start and who to bench real quality, not playing games for them. Um, I think LeBay, I guess as the edge at the moment. I would I would say LeBay's an easy call over. I, I like D'Angelo and Sheridan. I think they're both very good, but I think LeBay's a clear number one there. And unfortunately, they just they rotate them about as often as the U.S. does. <laughs> um, I don't know how to pronounce this, but Palau Fiol, who are the best starters for the U.S.'s midfield trio after what we've seen in this tournament and Haran's return. I think I'm still going. I'm still going Ertz, Mewis, and Lavelle. And I think you are going Ertz, Haran, Lavelle. Uh, you know, that answer probably changes on every every day. So, I don't know, but we already kind of went over that. All right, I got one for you now. This is just my question. Okay. Is Vlatko Andonovsky more animated as the U.S. head coach, or is it the difference in the television coverage that makes it seem that way? Like, is he it's doing this stuff? In, and... It's the difference in the, tele, the television coverage. So you think he was just as animated with Kansas City and the rain? I just think we saw it because there was always Laura Harvey on the opposite side. If you have the two, you're going to go zoom in on Laura Harvey or Paul Riley. You know, we have some very animated coaches in NBSL and out of the two. But, no, I think that I think he was he was always like that. We just didn't see it as often. Now, I actually thought about this during the game and texted one of his old assistants. And the old assistant said, more animated for sure. Oh, uh, well, he would know. He would know, so. You would definitely you set know. me up for that, then, Dan. You no, I, you, you could absolutely be right, because we definitely get a lot more. I was thinking about this. We don't get that many coach shots um, in the league, as, as we did on, of Lacko during this tournament. Yeah. Uh, we, and we had one other question as well, which was about the NWSL schedule. And I want to make sure we properly attribute that question. Um, even if we don't have the answer? Even if we don't have the answer. <laughs> and let's see. I don't can't find it now, of course. But um, thank, you, thank you to whoever sends it in. The schedule in the – I remember at least one year the schedule came out during President's Day week. But – my problem now, I think they might be waiting for the TV deal, which we think is going to be with CBS, to be finalized. But there are so less, there should be so many fewer uh, venue conflicts. And I don't really understand why it's taking this long, why they won't tease it, why they won't drop. I think the Spirit, right, said their home opener is the first set, first day of the season, maybe. But why? I don't know why they don't tease it, why they don't build it up. I have no idea. I found the question, by the way. It's Andrew Ote. Ote. Okay. Thank you. Andrew. Call him Andy. Um, 
Yeah, like the, like MLS, you know, they release their home openers and then they tease that for a while and then they release the whole schedule. Like, give us something. Or tell us when it might be coming or let some team leak something. But that's a, a part of a bigger conversation that we've discussed many times about the NWSL promoting itself and, and, and the NWSL and the teams keeping off-season content going and keeping interest alive. Yeah, absolutely. Something that uh, is still some that is something that is still very far away in terms of uh, NWSL and its teams, quote unquote, getting it. All right. Next week, we're going to have uh, lawyer Kelsey Trainer, who just had a post up uh, this week about a development in the U.S. soccer, U.S. national team equal pay case. So it'll be Chelsea and myself and Kelsey. I'll be with the Chelsea and Kelsey combo next week. But that should be fun. We'll do a little bit of a deep dive from a legal sense on the equal pay lawsuit which is one of the you know that's the big elephant in the room and the u.s is so good at putting those distractions aside but that's set for a may court date so it's not like they're on friendly terms with the federation here with the olympics coming up in just a few months uh, any closing thoughts equal pay u.s canada rest of Concacaf, anything else mm. no that is definitely a sign that it is time to end the podcast. So we'll be back next week. United States and Canada are on their way to the Olympic Games for Chelsea Bush. I'm Dan Lawletta. You've been listening to episode 95 of the Equalizer podcast. <laughs>